This is the Mostly NU Podcast. Welcome to episode six of the Mostly NU Podcast. Bryce here, joined by my brother Callum. Recording here late on a Monday night, just a day after that thrilling Wisconsin game. I've got to say, I was unwell in the last five minutes of that Wisconsin game. Glad we did not have to find out what would have come if we lost that one. I would have been an absolute wreck, so glad we got the dub. Overall, I think uh, a week that you've got to be happy with. We got two opportunities ahead this next week, but let's just jump right into it with a recap of the Michigan game. Yeah, so I mean, the first thing that... um I mean, just going into that Michigan game, obviously, big game. And it felt like one of those games that had a lot of anticipation around it, unlike too many Northwestern games you've seen in the last couple of years. I mean, you had Seth Greenberg, Dave Fleming on the call. Um, it was just a big moment. But then at the end of the day, I think Michigan just did catch us at the right time. Um, I mean, obviously, we've played all these games in a row here. Um, we we just came out flat, um, couldn't get anything going. Um, Chase... I'd say probably played one of his worst games of the year, um, just forcing stuff. It kind of felt like he he fell into to last year's groove of of forcing stuff up. Offense was was slow all around, but but the one thing I'll say is, I mean, I I think we all learned. I mean, I don't think that's indicative of the team. Um, I'm still a little worried about our offense um, coming off of of that game and then then the Wisconsin game. But like John Rossin says right now, um, we're we're in a position to be in a position. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's been talked about a lot, too, the kind of late turnaround for us. You know, we get back from Iowa, I think, at 2 a.m., Colin said on Wednesday morning, and then we've got the game the next night. And I think for me, too, the biggest thing is not necessarily the physical kind of exhaustion or being tired physically. It's just kind of mentally you could tell the guys just were not necessarily fully in that game. I mean, just on closeouts, right, our defense, we need to close out strong the way we double in the post and just Guys weren't closing out well. I thought maybe the crowd would be able to kind of hold us after the rough first half. We were still in it. We started the second half strong, but just not enough energy and, you know, short on practice. I think just, it, like you said, Michigan, I think, caught us at a, a good time for them and just a, a rough night for us. Yeah, and going off of that, that, that mental fatigue that, that you're saying there, you see that uh, largely in our, in our offense. Um, didn't run a lot of the sets that we typically run. We did not see much of the zoom action that we typically see with Big Matt. A lot of one-on-one isolation. The assist number that we have in that game, we still have our typical um, high level of assists from Boo, but not much of that was off of true action. Rather, it was off of isolation plays that he had. So the eight assists from him, I think, can be quite deceiving of how our offense ran in that game. Yeah, it was, when you talk about Boo, he did have a really nice individual performance. I think it was kind of unfortunate to see a, a good game from him go to waste, took care of the ball well, passed well, had some nice finds. Um, but yeah, just that kind of mental fatigue, like you mentioned, was too much to overcome. I think too, and I know Chase really didn't have a good game, and a lot of people are saying he kind of fell back into that last year's mindset. I think one thing I'll say on that is, and you mentioned it too, is you know this was more of the... Kind of, this wasn't the norm, right? This game was um, the outlier for us. I think Chase had a much more kind of on-brand game for him this year. Didn't make a ton of shots, but took shots that I was happy with against Wisconsin. So good to see him bounce back. And I think, too, just 
when you see the team struggling, he's somebody who wants to win more than anybody. He feels like, hey, you know, everyone's really struggling right now. I can try to pick him up and, you know, just couldn't get the shots to fall, just wasn't working. And, you know, a lot of things went wrong. Yeah. And when Chase, you know, when he's not having a great game, when our typical performers aren't having great games, uh, Robbie didn't play that well. Big Matt didn't play that well. I want to see why not try and give guys like uh, Titus and Nick Martinelli, Julian Roper, if Chase that we can tell is in a mental fatigue, tired, slow, why not try and use these guys off the bench a little more than we did against Michigan, for example? I mean, Nick Martinelli only getting three minutes. I personally thought he, we could have used him as more of a spark off the bench in this game. Yeah, I think absolutely for Nick Martinelli. He's been someone I think people have called out, hey, his offense is like getting to a pretty high level for a freshman and someone who wasn't a highly taught recruit. His defense needs work, but this is a game where you needed that offensive spark. I think I made a note here. We scored 10 points over a eight points over a 10-minute stretch and this pretty much started that second half. And, you know, why not put Nick Marnelli in just to give some kind of different look, right? Bring some energy. He's a guy off the bench. I mean, a freshman obviously getting his chance to play in front of that home crowd. You know he's going to be playing hard and he'll be 100% there. So, agree. Would have been great to see maybe more minutes for Martinelli just to give a different look. Yeah, and I'm glad to see that we that Chris Collins learned off of that into the Wisconsin game. Uh, it was the second highest minutes he has had all season, um, or rather third highest minutes he's had all season, 15, and and he played a huge role in, in that game offensively. So it was good to see that adjustment made for us. Yeah, absolutely. It's good to see this year Collins is still, I think, just his general nature. He's a little slow to make changes, but it was great to see Martinelli get more minutes. And the only other thing I want to call out here on the Michigan game, just aside from the energy thing, this was something we've seen happen a few times this year as we kind of dig ourselves a big hole. I look back at the play-by-play in the box score, and we – we're up three to start that first half. We end up down 18 10 minutes later, and we're outscored 29 to 8 on a 10-minute stretch. So it's just these, and we had it against Wisconsin too, I think a five- or six-minute scoring drought, right? It's these scoring droughts, these times during the game when our energy's low, and I feel like Chris could maybe do a better job to bring a new lineup in, maybe call a timeout preemptively and just try to kind of re-energize the team. So something maybe to watch going forward. Yeah, because that's something we really haven't done too much this year. We're we are very low in bench minutes, which is something I think definitely to take note of. Obviously, when you have guys that play eighty plus percent of minutes like Boo and Chase, uh, it lends itself to that. But certainly using that bench to to your benefit is is something that we could do a little more here towards the end of the season. Let's move on to the Wisconsin game. So first thing I want to call out here with this game. And something I tweeted about before the game is in conference games this year, one of the kind of metrics defensively we've really struggled with is defensive rebounding. And in games we've lost in conference, we are, our defensive rebounding percentage is 64%, which is really, really bad. And in games we've won, it's 74%, which isn't even that good. So 79% for us against Wisconsin, I think that was really important. Um, one of the more important factors for us, I think, in that game was getting some big rebounds. I call that Titus. And Brooks, I think, came up really big. Titus played some big minutes for us in that one. But that was just one thing that really stuck out to me as kind of a key to key to the win in that game. Yeah, certainly it was. And that is luckily the way Wisconsin plays. We match up pretty well with Wisconsin. Uh, we play a similar brand of basketball to them, except we play it better. 
they don't offensive rebound the ball at all. Um, they're near last in the country, uh, last in the conference at least, in or second to last in the conference in in that offensive rebounding metric. So it is good to see that even when we are then playing a team that is much worse of an offensive rebounding team than Michigan, we can still figure out a way to to get those rebounds and not let them make something that is generally a weakness for them, one of their strengths. Another another call out for me here on this game, and this is just kind of more about general big picture of this game in the season. At the last five minutes of this game, we had nine points, and they, those all came from our three seniors, Robbie, Chase, and Boo. I just think that makes this team so fun to watch. These wins so much more enjoyable as these guys who have really been with the program for four years, Chase only playing three, but have been with the program for such a long time, have been through just such a dark stretch. People are always kind of saying, oh, you know what happened? We want to get back to those 2017 years. People probably always talking to them, reminiscing on that time where they weren't even part of this program. So to see these guys get this big win on the road at the Cole Center, I know this one meant a lot to them. So just such a fun win to get and just, just stoked for those guys. Yeah, it is amazing. It certainly reminds me of, of the 2017 win we had down in or up, Absolutely. In, up in Madison. But the one, la- one later thing I want to say in, in this Wisconsin game is I am still quite worried uh, about our offense. I think when you look at metrics right now, you have seen our offense increase uh, in how high it's ranked. Certainly in Ken Palm, we're, we're up into the top 100 now offensively. But when I'm watching the sets against Wisconsin, the sets against Michigan, especially these last two, it has become quite worrisome to me. The moving away from a lot of the sets and a reliance on making tough shots. It's the old uh, Roy Williams. I actually saw on Twitter a clip of his from about five to 10 years ago where he says, it makes me look like a lot better coach when the shots are just going in. And I feel that's something that we're seeing with our offense, at least recently where we have been bailed out a number of times with, taking difficult shots and getting away with it. I think to those, you know, shots by that chase will take uh, the shots that, that boo will make. I am getting a little worried with our, the difficulty of our shots in these last two games is certainly something that I'm looking for and hoping to see an improvement. I think we'll have a great opportunity here coming up against Ohio state and a weaker defensive team to hopefully see a game where we're moving the ball we are taking open shots, getting good layups and stuff like that. Yeah, I think that's something I made a note on here too. And I think more importantly, the next kind of two games will tell us a little bit more about where the offense is at. If there have been kind of defensive regressions, Collins and players have been constantly calling out the last two games on offensive and defensive game slippage. Not really sure exactly what that means. They say it's just kind of things you're good at maybe you're just kind of having mental lapses Uh, maybe it's setting bad screens not sticking with the sets Um, but I think they're saying that is just from them not being able to have their regular practices pretty much no practices last two weeks I think with these three days off four days you know from this game to the Ohio State game I think we'll see you know this is when the teams had a chance to reset can we get back into kind of running some better offense running more sets if not then definitely cause for concern for me over the next day games but if we can show once we get back into our nor- normal rhythm here that things kind of 
level out for us and we don't see as many of those kind of hero shots, then that's something I'll be looking for in the next two games as we kind of get back into our normal routine after this COVID stuff. Yeah, this is certainly when you need to make your biggest adjustment of the season going into the last eight games that'll that'll conclude where you know we we will have more breaks certainly in these to make adjustments down towards the stretch but you think this is the best time to install any major changes that you want to see before you go play Purdue, Indiana, Iowa, Illinois. Yeah. etc. And I don't even think it's about installing major changes, right? You don't need to throw everything out. I mean, there've been some definite positives in the offense. I think it's just kind of reinforcing what's done right, making sure those little details are all ironed out cuz obviously at this point in the season you can't change the offense, right? But I think it's just about sticking right with the things that work, making sure that those things are still going right, calling out those little things that you can see in film and then actually taking it on the practice floor on Tuesday, you know, figuring out what needs to go right to make sure that doesn't happen again. All right. Anything else here on the Wisconsin game? No, that's that's all I've got. I think we can I can move into the Ohio State game uh, coming up here on uh, on Thursday. Yeah, take it away. Yeah, so coming to this game, you know, Ohio State has lost nine of their last ten, including losses to Minnesota and Nebraska. They will rely heavily on Bryce Sensabaugh, Zed Key. Uh, Sensabaugh does take thirty five percent of their shots, and that's seven or that's seventh in the country. They are an offensive. Uh, focused team weak defensively so you know we just talked about how that's hopefully an area where we can see ourselves take some strides if this is the team that that we think uh, is capable of showing themselves as we get down towards this home stretch of taking that next step offensively would be something that's great to see and then certainly from now our defensive perspective of things from them you're going to see a lot of one-on-one isolation ball that will in my thought lend itself well to our success in the game teams generally have great success working the ball around after doubles that we have in the post working the ball around on a lot of their action that's why teams assist the ball against us just as much as anyone in the country Um, 63 percent of the field goals made against us are coming off of the assist which is one of the highest rates in the country so this one-on-one game, I do think will actually lend itself well to us is this is not an area that teams generally will will score against us. We have the, they don't have the ability, I should say, to move the ball around quite as well. They don't have the ability to move the ball around on offense, which will lend itself uh, into our favor defensively, which I think will be something to keep an eye on how well they're moving the ball, how many assists they're getting. Uh, is certainly something to look forward to in this game. And I think kind of the way they play that you mentioned there is why, you know, I feel good about this game. I feel good about our chances to win because, like you said, they do kind of play that individual game a lot. But at the same time, it's those individual kind of stars they have is why I'm also so nervous for this one. It is a team that's struggling, right? But, I mean, Sensabaugh is just, just a fantastic player. They've got a lot of other good guys. McNeil can really shoot it. Justice Suing's really good. Zed Key, I really like the way he plays. Really good college player. So, you know, they've got a lot of guys. I think Zed Key could be a problem for us on the offensive glass. As I mentioned, that defensive rebounding's been such a problem for us. So it's just a game that I'm a little hesitant about the way Ohio State's played against us recently. They seem to be running really hot, but it'll be interesting to see kind of 
I think how the team comes out will be important just based on the last game they jumped on us. And even going back to last year's game, they jumped on us at the start when we played at Ohio State. So it'll be interesting to see if we can kind of stop that trend. Yeah, the one big thing I'm, I'm curious on for this Ohio State game is seeing the, in my opinion, lack of success that we've had with the double recently. How aggressive, I mean, do you think we're going to be with this double on Zed Key? Personally, I would not be so aggressive, but that's just my personal train of thought. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I don't know. I think sometimes we've been too aggressive. I don't mind doubling Zed Key that much, even though they do have a lot of good three point shooters. But I can tell you pretty confidently we are definitely going to stick with the doubles. Uh, Collins even mentioned it after the Wisconsin game. He said, you know, that's just the staple of our defense, and I don't think we're about to change that. Now uh, we've, we've shown, I think, I don't think there's been a game throughout the season we haven't doubled in the post. So I, I think it'll definitely be something we stick with. I did feel like it came maybe a little later in some of the second half that Wisconsin game, but still the doubles were there. Yeah, because that's the doubles lend itself to um... – Asesian making all those threes, that's how he was able to get open looks every time. I know uh, Joey Baker had a few open looks against in that Michigan game. So those doubles, in my opinion, have really been killer for us. Peyton Sandefort did it for to us against Iowa a couple of times where we double so hard, those rotations now kill us uh, defensively. So... I don't know the adjustment that you make for that. I'm not some basketball guru, but I think it's just, I think the thing they'll be focusing on the most here in the next four days while they install the game plan for Ohio State. It'll be interesting to see, you know, we've stuck with it. I mean, even though, you know, in that Wisconsin game, they only scored 52 points. They shot 40% from three. So it's worked, you know, it's, it's had success. I mean, Michigan only put up 68, you know, it's not like they had a crazy offensive night. Obviously we've been burned by some teams, but. the game plans had success even against teams that can shoot the three well and have success on the nights we play them. So we'll see how it it works out. Yeah. Let's jump to the Purdue game. Um, Certainly me and you, we are a little more familiar with the Purdue team. Obviously we'll, Um, we'll give a little background. I mean, yeah, we we should. I posted a picture. We chatted about it. We were at the Purdue game. I think that was what last weekend now, maybe two weekends ago, Purdue, Maryland. I went to Purdue uh, we both grew up really huge Purdue fans. Our, our, my dad's family grew up in West Lafayette, so Purdue runs deep. So I think Cal and I may spend uh, a few minutes, just a few minutes, talking about this Purdue game. I think we're pretty jacked up. This game's always fun. We got a lot of family in the stands for this one all sitting together, so it's a fun game for us, but certainly a big opportunity for Northwestern. But yeah, Cal, take us away in the preview. Yeah, just going off that, I, I will say I try and limit my Purdue fandomship in this podcast. I hope it doesn't come out too much here. Um, I'll try and focus more on the keys and how we can stop Zach Eady, obviously, is the main thing I will talk about first here. Uh, he is the consensus national player of the year, and we've got a month left of, left of basketball. As John Rostin likes to say, he is the Yao Ming of college basketball. The offense it's not just that he is tall he when you see him warming up he works on the exact same post hook that he will do every single play so northwestern we're gonna do our usual and we are going to double the heck out of Edie. my biggest concern is that with that double Edie is a good passer 
And the problem is he can see right over us. Even Big Matt, he'll be able to make those passes over him. So the rotations after are going to be a massive, massive key to the game. And the one team that is really actually did a great job slowing down Edie this year earlier was Nebraska. And the double came before he even got the ball. So they would dang near be doubling him the entire game. And that Purdue-Nebraska game, it, it went to overtime, certainly earlier in the year. But I figure this is a thing that Collins looks at and says, look, that's a Nebraska team that's been able to shut down Edie the best. And other than their two losses, that's the closest game that they've played. So certainly something I'm going to be curious to see in how we double Edie. Will it look any different from how we've doubled other bigs in the Big Ten? Or will it just be the same old double where we wait for him to get the ball, but then the worry there is he'll be in too good of a position and he'll just be able to shoot it over either person defending him? The Edie matchup's obviously the one you circle in this game. I think... This is one of the kind of positives I had for this game for us was the fact that we are a team like we just talked about that always doubles, right? We consistently do it. We've done it all season. Our guards are familiar with what they need to do on doubles, right? Making those rotations. So with a team as good as pretty, you kind of have to pick your poison, right? You're not going to be able to make a game plan that says these guys aren't going to be able to get good shots. They're going to get some good shots. So I think at least for us, the fact that most teams sometimes have to change their defensive game plan, right, do something they're not comfortable with and throwing doubles, you know, guys just aren't totally sure what to do. They don't have the communication for that, but we at least have that communication that's already installed. It's kind of the core of our defense. So that's one thing for me that says, you know, maybe we can slow E down a little bit. You're not going to stop him, but the best you can hope for is making him have a below average game for him, which is probably 25 points on like. 18 shots but that would be great if that was the stat line (laughs) yeah if you can keep him to his season averages or even a little below that with 20 and 10 you're walking away from that game pretty proud of yourselves if i think a big key will be keeping big matt out of foul trouble um that'll be a huge key at least in defending Edie. even if we are successful in a double on Edie, the biggest key is going to be turning the ball over uh, with him just as he did against Indiana and that was a big reason why Indiana was able to to beat him they were quick to him and they were able to force him into uncomfortable situations with quicker guys and he had I believe four turnovers in the first half that were detrimental to Purdue and and not able to make them allow them to come back in that second half yeah absolutely I think that another thing kind of for me circles a positive here it's great. Start with the positives. Um, we don't want to get to the negatives yet. Is going to be that if we can turn him over, which obviously another kind of key tenant to our defense, that's been what Purdue has struggled with. Ed having turnovers, some of the guards, Fletch and uh, Fletcher Lawyer and Braden Smith having turnovers. You know, those are two freshman guards in the Big Ten, so it's tough, right? Hopefully, it'll be a good atmosphere in Welsh Ryan. I know there'll be a lot of Purdue fans, but I think the student section will be pretty jacked up. It's just a fun Sunday with the Super Bowl right after, so. I think that we could get some turnovers and we haven't got into it yet, but I think our offense is going to have a tough time for sure. And if we could get maybe some transition buckets, that could really kind of take the load off some of our traditional just half court offense. Yeah. So a big key to the game is going to be scoring in transition for Northwestern and getting Purdue a little bit out of their comfort zone as they are one of the slower teams in college basketball. They want to slow the game down. 
Now, that doesn't mean they're going to be walking the ball up the court like you see at Wisconsin doing. Braden Smith can still beat you in transition. However, their sets do take quite a while to develop. And that's another area where this is why Purdue's had so much success recently is they have some of the better offensive sets that you will see. As I've mentioned, Northwestern uses that zoom action with Big Matt at the high post. And this is something that Purdue really takes great advantage of. If I don't know if any of you guys are looking to get more into the analytical perspective of, of basketball, I certainly try and watch a few videos here and there to, to see some of this stuff. But there's this guy, Jordan Sperber, uh, HoopVision68 on Twitter and YouTube, I believe, is his channel. And he's done a number of videos on on the Purdue offense and how it's been able to be so successful. So being able to try and get Purdue out of some of these sets will, will be a key to us to, to try and win the game. But then a big key will be understanding the action that they run. And certainly being a team that uses some of the Zoom action will help us. You know, going through every day in scout team and everything like that will be big for us to know the action that they run with Edie at the high post and the action that comes off of that. Painter runs a, a really complex offense, like you mentioned, a really efficient offense. I think part of it for us is just going to be trying to disrupt it, right? You know, even if it's not a steal, we do have kind of a lot of tip balls, just getting our hands in there. You know, Chase and Ty do a really good job just getting up in guys' faces. So just kind of keeping with that, keeping pressure on the ball. When I've seen Purdue struggle, it's when their offense really gets pushed out off the three-point line, and they're just kind of hassled when they're moving the ball around the floor. Um, so if we can kind of just keep pressure on the ball, keep pressure on their guys, I think that can help us just kind of take them out of their rhythm. And I think Purdue sometimes does when they get out of their rhythm. Offensively, it can take them a little while to get back clicking. So if we can kind of get off to a good start, you know, just kind of throw them off the rhythm, that could be something that could help us as well. Yeah, that pressure is something that IU did very well in the loss that they had in their, their previous game. The two other main things that I want to point out as we wrap up this this preview with Purdue so we don't go on too long about this is that Purdue has the highest offensive rebounding percentage in the country, getting nearly 40% of its misses. Obviously, they have a guy like Zach Eady who, despite just being tall, works really, really hard in the post. And at some points, it's not even an over the back. He just reaches over you and doesn't even touch you, but he gets these rebounds. So getting on the glass, crashing the glass, certainly just even guys like Chase and stuff like that, not getting out to that outlet position, but having all five of our guys really, really crash the glass like that should be something that I imagine Collins will be focusing on as, as he preps for this game. And then obviously we've talked about how we get a good amount of production from the free throw line, but Purdue fouls less than any team in the country. Uh, team score is fewer points. Uh, from the free throw line against Purdue as they do against anyone. So it's certainly something to keep in mind. They just foul less because a lot of guys don't want to go up against a guy like Zach Eady, often not taking it towards him um, and, and settling for, for outside jump shots, which I hope is something that we don't fall into the rhythm of. I don't want to see though a lot of those you know 18-foot jumpers from Chase and Boo and stuff like that uh, just as that, that'll be tough for us. Totally agree with you on those two things. Those were the two biggest areas I circled as places for potential trouble. I think for rebounding, you know, 
right? How, how much is there you can do schematically? I don't know. I think it's more so about, like you said, crashing the glass, making a team effort. It's not just the center who needs to be trying to get the rebound. It's everybody one through five on the floor who needs to be fighting really hard on the glass. So just coming out to play and coming to play physical, I think is really important there. And then what you mentioned with fouls. So yeah, I know that with Edie in the post, it can be hard sometimes to get into the lane and draw those fouls. I think something that would be good for our offense to focus on is Boo has been really crafty in the lane lately, I think. And any way we can just try to get Edie off the block and get Bowie going downhill on him, I think would be great. I know he'll get some blocks for sure, but any fouls that we could get Edie to pick up would be massive. Anytime you can get with him off the floor would be really great. They do have a, a solid option with Treykoff and Ren as their backup, a highly rated recruit, but certainly nowhere near the level of Edie. So just any foul trouble we can get in. Edie in two and just, again, throw Purdue off the rhythm, I think, I think would be huge. Yeah, I think offensively for us, Offensively, I would want to. It's tough because offensively, I would want to see us in a small ball where our biggest guy is someone like Barron. But the problem is, you just can't do that because defensively, it would just be catastrophic. Unless maybe, you know what? Just produce the number one team in the country, right? Why not just say, F it, right? Let's exactly let's try something that no one else has tried. Get Robbie as your biggest guy, 100%. constantly double him. Try and take advantage of his weakness of just dribbling at all. Anytime he puts <laughs> the ball on the floor, have someone like Jason there just coming yeah. in, pestering him. I don't know. Maybe you think you look back at their Penn State game and Mason Gillis hits nine threes. And, you know, if Mason Gillis hits another nine threes against us, I Boy. live with that. I'm not going to, yeah, I'm not going to be too mad if, if he does that. But, just doing something like Nebraska did that worked well, just trying something different is something that I think could go miles in this game in our success. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I think that you, it's, I mean, you don't want to have this mindset, but this is at least the way I go into it, right? This is kind of a bonus game for us. You know, Purdue's the number one team in the country. They have the best player in the country. So, you know, we don't need to be, it's okay to kind of stray from the game plan, like you mentioned, try something that, Maybe fails miserably, but maybe it doesn't, and it catches Prudhoe off guard, and it works really well. So I would love to see that um, just kind of go for broke, you know, try something. Because if we lose this game, it really is no one's looking down upon it. And if we win it, obviously, just a massive boost to the resume. I'll throw in one more thing here in the Purdue game. I know we went long on it, but I think that the crowd is going to be really awesome. Definitely has me thinking back to the 2017 season. This whole season gave me similar vibes, but the last home game ever at the old Welsh Ryan, best crowd I ever saw there. Um, the place was really rocking, so hopefully we can mimic that. And also, I will say, Northwestern, we have not beat Purdue since, I think, 2014. But the last few years, you know, even when our teams have been down, we've had a few close games in there when we certainly shouldn't have. So I'm cautiously optimistic that you know maybe we at least keep things close in the first half and then you just you know you never know what's going to happen in basketball maybe we'll get hot from three in the second half yeah for sure i mean it's not just you that thought it was a great crowd jim nance did say it was one of the best crowds he's ever been to i believe it was cbs that said it was the highest decibel reading they've ever had so never forget i never let anyone who knows me i quote this constantly jim nance said it was a top five environment he's ever been in and that guy's been in a lot of places so i will never forget that no one else should ever forget and that's that. an environment that i would say let's say ascends college basketball that's up there with the masters <laughs> the super bowl 
That's what I would say. Absolutely. I mean, we're playing on Super Bowl Sunday, and, you know, the Super Bowl, I mean, there's three Big Ten games that day, so the Super Bowl's, you know, fourth most important event in my eyes that day. Oh, for sure. I I honestly miss the days. This is This is going off topic here, but I remember the COVID <laughs> season. What I wish the Pac-12 would do again is I remember Stanford played Cal on Super Bowl Sunday after the Super Bowl, and that's something – that I really think we should we should look to bring back in in college basketball. That would be that would be awesome to see. I wish we could have some Pac-12 after dark after the Super Bowl. <laughs> Let's move on here to going around the Big Ten. So I'll let you go first, Calum. Over the last week, uh, what what kind of sticks out to you from those games? Well, I remember last week we said that we're going to have a better idea of who's good and who's bad in the Big Ten. We could not have been. <laughs> more wrong (laughs) we are looking at a six-way tie for third place in the big 10 i would love to see how that tiebreaker would work for the double buy in the big 10 tournament that would certainly be a funny thing to watch but in this past week we have learned nothing more about who's good and who's bad in the big 10 doing the power rankings this week again was a struggle for us doing that that middle tier but in terms of biggest results, obviously it's the Indiana beating Purdue. Biggest result, um, just an amazing atmosphere for Indiana. Huge win for them that gives them a good chance to now get that double bye. Um, I'm assuming tiebreaker for best win will be in there, and they'll, they'll get that. And then you also look at big wins for Iowa, Rutgers, and then the biggest one of the bigger games I think was was Penn State's loss to Nebraska really really puts them in a tough position now to get into the tournament. They're going to need to pull some big wins coming up here in the next few weeks if they want to get to the tournament. Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't agree with you more on those one. I think you caught the big highlights, you know, just another week in the Big 10. Indiana loses to Maryland on Tuesday and then they go beat Purdue just a few days later. So just kind of that you know, you don't know who's going to win game to game. And I think for Penn State, the road got a lot tougher with that loss. Um, and we've got a big game later in the season coming up against Penn State. So certainly a team I have my eye on. But, you know, it's a team, I think, at least for me, I got nothing against Penn State basketball. So you, you kind of want to root for them, but things not going their way here the last couple of weeks. I think about how crazy the Big Ten is this year with this tiebreaker and how close it is. And if... Ohio State had taken care of business against Minnesota, Nebraska, Wisconsin, won an overtime game with Rutgers. I mean, we're that close to having, you know, a seven-way tie. And, you know, that's a team that was at one point ranked ninth in Ken Palm. It's crazy. Ohio State, as we talked about it, you know, they just can't find it. They were losing close games at first, and now it's getting kind of blown out in some games. So the wheels have really, really fallen off for Ohio State. But let's take a look here up ahead to the next seven days. So for me, I think the big games that are are kind of sticking out for me is Rucker, Indiana, Tuesday night. That is going to be a really big one to watch. At Indiana, the crowd there will be really going after that Purdue win. And I think that's just going to be a really fun game to watch. I don't really have a dog in that fight, but I think just a fun top-tier Big Ten game to watch. And other than that, Penn State at Maryland, you know, maybe a chance for them to get a bounce back win. They've got quite a few days off, not playing until Saturday. Oh, no, they've got 
Wisconsin at Penn State as well on Wednesday. So two big games for Penn State to maybe right the ship a little bit there, but I think those are the ones that, that stick out to me. Another one that sticks out to me, Purdue-Iowa will be a good game. Two great offenses going at it. But then certainly a really big week for Indiana. Uh, you come off that huge win. You've got a lot of momentum, but now you've got to play what I would argue is two or three to me is pretty inter- two, three, four is pretty interchangeable there with Iowa, Rutgers, Indiana. So so playing Rutgers is going to be a huge game. They're, luckily, it's at Assembly Hall for them. And then, then they'll have to go at Michigan. And certainly, just with the talent Michigan has, it'll never be a easy game, especially on the road. We say it every week. We'll say it again. A, a bunch of really good games. I think a, little, a couple more high-level matchups with the Rutger-IU, Iowa-Purdue. That's going to be a really fun one to watch, just knowing that Iowa's going to put up a bunch of points. So some, some high-level games. Even Rutger at Illinois on Saturday, that's a really high-level basketball. So some really high-level games to watch for sure this week. And hopefully we can get a little more clarity in the Big Ten this time. Yeah, and we absolutely won't. It'll definitely be probably somehow a 10-way tie next week for third place. So I'm not expecting any clarity anytime soon in the conference. Let's move on here to the power rankings. So I'll jump, I'll, I'll kind of start reading them off here, and then Cam, you can give the thoughts that we had while making these as I go. So Purdue, obviously, number one here. And then two through, I think even six gets really tricky to do. I think Maryland's getting kind of gypped here, but... Two through six, I'll read off here. We've got Iowa. They jumped a spot for us. Then Rucker, who also jumped a spot. Indiana up to fourth with that big Purdue win, carrying most of the weight there. And then Illinois drops down to five. That's a three-spot drop for them in Maryland to six at minus one. And for Illinois and Maryland, it's not even a matter of losses. It's just teams ahead of them picking up good wins, continuing to play well. But what are your thoughts on that, Cal? If you look at the entire body of work for any of these teams – you can rank them anyway, and I'm going to have no actual problem with it. You can put Maryland at two at three. You can put Indiana anywhere. You can put Rutger anywhere. It's just to me who's done best recently, and that's the order that I think that we agreed upon, and that's how I think you go about it. Not necessarily that any team's that much better than the other. I think if you put any of these teams together on a neutral court, the spread's going to be within a point or two. No team here distinguishes themselves from the rest among those four or five. They all play really different uh, styles of basketball. I think none of these teams are the same. Moving on here, so then seven, eight, nine, we've got Northwestern seven, dropping a spot there for us, and then Michigan eight, up two spots, and then Michigan State down to ninth. Michigan picked up the big win against us, obviously that was good for them. And they've kind of righted the ship, maybe got themselves back in conversation. Not quite yet, but maybe inching their way up towards that bubble. So slowly climbing for them. And then I think Michigan State maybe needs to uh, make some moves here late to secure their spot in the tournament. You got it, you got it all down there. I think, we, I think we're a little – I know we did lose to Michigan, obviously. But I still think in the grand scheme of things, we are separated from them. Um we're kind of right in that middle. I think we're we're still a little bit off of that that top tier, just in a sense of, in my opinion, pure talent. But then the reason Michigan has better pure talent than us, but then they don't have the coaching aspect to it, um, is really what what separates them from us, in in my opinion. Absolutely. And then I think these last ones have been pretty easy for us for most of the year. We got Penn State at ten. I think that one is 
pretty easy to do to slot there. You're not going to put Wisconsin ahead of Penn State at this point in the season. So we've got Penn State 10, Wisconsin 11. Nebraska moving up a spot with their win against Penn State. Ohio State dropping all the way to 13. And Minnesota rounded us off at, at 14. Almost didn't think about moving Minnesota and Nebraska just because, you know, at the start of the season, you've just got them almost automatically slotted at, at 14 and 13. And you don't think a team is going to be down there with them. But Ohio State, I mean, the losses just keep piling up and Nebraska gets a win. So had to move Ohio State down a spot. But anything to add on those teams, Cal? Yeah, my thing, don't really have much to say on Wisconsin, Nebraska, Ohio State, Minnesota. I mean, Ohio State, we talked about them today. I just, I just can't believe it. I mean, I even said last week, I'm not going to be surprised if they rip off two wins and, you know, get themselves back into the conversation. But at this point, they dang near have to win out. Um, maybe one loss, win seven of your last eight or eight of your last nine, however many they have left. But the one thing that was just brutal for Penn State, that loss to Nebraska, just that puts them in such a tough position. That team's a really fun team to watch, and I hope they can make it to March and do something. And but that'll because that's a team that you know, at least in terms of representing the Big Ten, that's a team that can make a run in the tournament. All it takes is if they get hot. I mean, with the amount of threes they shoot, they can beat anyone. So certainly a a really really tough loss for them, and they do separate themselves, but but just a real real tough loss for them. Yeah, absolutely, and I still I don't really think they're going to make a charge here, but I'm not going to count them out until we beat them on Thursday for making a run at doing something here late in the season. We will move on next to some listener questions. we got quite a few this week, but we will start with the true questions we got from our listeners. So first one, I think it's on a lot of Northwestern fans' mind right now, is what are the must-win games remaining to make the tournament um, if any, I'll let you kind of take the first stab at this one, Cal. Boy, I hate saying must-win games. That's the worst thing you can possibly say. And it's so tough because the thing is, as we mentioned, there's those five teams ahead of us. And we play, of our last six games, five of them come against them. So we're playing Indiana, Iowa, Illinois, Maryland, and Rutgers as five of our last six games. So, to me, it's not necessarily this one is the must-win game of those five, but I think you need to pick up two of them. I think you need to pick up two of them, and then you hope that you can put yourself in a position where that you don't make that Penn State a must-win game. But to me, that feels like it's going to be as must-win as it gets. And now, at least looking at it on the, the calendar... Um, just how we're looking at the season. It's given me these flashbacks to, to 2017. I mean, the Penn State games on March 1st, we beat Wisconsin in early February. Just now looking at the dates, at least, certainly giving me some flashbacks to that because obviously certainly that Michigan game was a must-win game for us that year, or at least not a must-win, but a comforting win. Absolutely. You know, I think I personally... At this point, with, you know, what, eight games left, right, I want to stay away from the must-win talk because, you know, we could lose the next uh, five games when the last three gets us to 10-10. and 10. So I don't want to say there's a must-win game. I think the ones that are really, really nice to have for me is the Ohio State and the Penn State games, obviously. 
But I think it's just still a little too early. Maybe next week we can talk must-win if we drop the, the next two. But it's a little too early for me to commit to any must-wins. I think just with how the Big Ten's been, how we've played, you just have no idea what your wins are going to be. Uh, you know, we beat IU on the road. No one expected us to win that, and we get um, Indiana at home still. So you you just never know, I think, kind of how the other team's going to come out, how you're going to come out. So it's just a little too early still for me to – to call any, any must-win games at this point. Yeah, those games that we have coming up, I, Ohio State's shown a little bit of consistency, Purdue's shown a little bit of consistency, but the rest of them, the thing is they've they've all shown no consistency in how they play, in my opinion. Illinois certainly had terrible games. Indiana's had bad games. Iowa's had bad games. Penn State certainly as well. So a big thing is just going to be which of those teams do we play? You get you know Illinois in an off night. You get Maryland in an off night. Those are two road games, right? I mean top 25 teams pick up a road win goes a really long way versus picking up a home win against Penn State right you know you can't count the wins with equal weight but at the same time it's not as if losing at home to Penn State is like you lost a quad three game right I mean it's just a quad two loss it's a solid team it's not going to destroy your resume or anything like that so there's no games where I look at you know with Minnesota when you play them you have to be scared that you're going to lose that game because if you lose it just does so much more harm um, then the win does good for you. So a lot of these games you can look at with that mindset of, you know, kind of nothing to lose, right? It's not like you have to be worried about losing, right? Just kind of play free. The next question we got here is with Julian Roper out and Nick Martinelli getting more minutes, do you expect Chris to keep the current rotation or will minutes drop off for some headed into this stretch of key games? I hope we, I mean, we talked about this earlier, the bench minutes and the production we get from the bench. I hope to see the amount of minutes for guys like Martinelli continue to increase. Titus is well playing really well right now. Um, on the season, he's only playing, what is it, about 38% of minutes. And that's a number that I can see easily being closer to 45-50. Um, it's a guy that can generate a spark for this offense. I don't know what we're going to do. But I would love to see an increase in the usage of Brooks, Titus, Nick Martinelli, and then hopefully Julian Roper won't be out too much longer. Yeah, I think the one thing we've really seen this year is we know that we can expect Boo and Chase to play. I mean, virtually every single minute unless they get into foul trouble. So, you know, 38 minutes for those guys. And then I think from the rest of the guys, Collins has done a better job of, you know, at least being willing to maybe ride a player who's playing a little better. I think Martinelli ended up playing maybe 10 minutes, almost nine minutes straight in the first half of that Wisconsin game. Um, you know, Brooks's minutes, he's had games where he played seven minutes against Rucker. He played 26 the next game, 30 the game after that. Um, Julian Roper's minutes were kind of increasing, but I think, you know, I'm not expecting to see just one guy keyed in on. I think Brooks maybe is starting to possibly stand out, but you know, Ty could also start playing really well and secure more of those minutes. So I think it's just going to be whoever's playing well that night, whoever played well in the first half, maybe is going to get more of an opportunity late in the second half. So, you know, I'm not keen necessarily on one guy. I'm not someone who thinks, oh, we need to find that third guy. I know people have been saying, hey, we need to find that third score to really lock in on. I think that, you know, we can kind of be a team by committee, right? Just get other guys to step up. One night it's Robbie, one night it's going to be Ty, you know, one night it'll be Brooks. Um, so that's kind of what I'm expecting to see, hoping to see down this stretch. 
Yeah, and you hope to see, I hope in in one or two of these games down the stretch, we get a game where we get great production from Brooks and Ty, or two of the non-Chase and Boo guys that really step up. So if you could get a good game from, from Robbie and Ty one day, would be just huge for us and, and give us that great position to win. Hopefully, you know, get us a comfortable win down the stretch here. Um, and that's one thing I think we actually, I don't think harped on too much today, but Brooks, again, just playing so well down the stretch. His confidence on offense is something I really never thought I was going to see. Being confident, able to make moves. You can tell in the moves that he makes, those turnaround jump shots. I know exactly who he's learning those from uh, at practice. I know exactly who he's <laughs> watching. He's looking at Chase, and you see that show up in his game, which is really, really cool to see those moves that Chase is successful with in, in Brooks's game as well now. Yeah, absolutely. He is really, really playing confident, and I love the way he plays. Uh, I think he's shown a really big defensive improvement this year. I love watching guys play hard defense. You know, he plays physical, um, really strong guy, really big guy. He can defend a lot of different guys on the court. So, yeah, he's his minutes have been huge, and um, John Rossing called him out as kind of one of the guys who, you know, is the X factor for us this year. So I think he's being noticed, which is awesome to see. Yeah, give him the, the glue guy of the week coming up, maybe. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, he got the shout-out for Matt Nicholson a couple weeks ago, so Brooks is on the fast track for that as well. All right, another – this is not a question, just something one of our listeners wanted to call out. I think it was maybe a week and a half ago now, Chase was featured on an episode of The Journey. I think you had a chance to watch it as well, Cal, but – just a, a shout out to kind of giving that a watch. It was a really well done documentary and not really documentary, but if you've seen the journey, um, well done episode. Chase's story was cool to hear and you don't always get kind of the personal side of players during the season. So, you know, I love watching Chase play and, and cool to see that side of uh, him as well. Yeah, I know me and you obviously certainly love Chase. It's just, it confirmed everything that I I yeah. thought about Chase. Just he he just seems like the nicest guy ever. Just someone you just <laughs> just a a person you want to have on your team as a coach. Just a leader, someone that everyone loves, and just just an awesome guy all around. And that that feature they did on him on the journey was was great. And for anyone that doesn't watch the journey that often, I haven't. I remember growing up at least probably five six years ago. I'd really watch turn on that show a lot. And I hadn't watched it for a little bit and turned on that episode and getting to know a lot of those players is always something cool. I know me and you talked about the feature on Maddie Sissoko, which was so cool. Certainly if you, if you don't tune in that often, something I'd really recommend to anyone. It's just a amazing, amazing show by the big 10 network. Absolutely. It's a really great show to watch even for players on teams. You may not really like, you know, just kind of seeing the personal side of them is really cool to see. Just a lot of good good people playing in the Big Ten and a really well-done show by the Big Ten. All right, moving on to our last listener. Not real question, but just kind of comment, suggestion. They wanted us to talk a little about women's, the women's team, how they're doing this year. So I will say it has not been the most successful women's team as we've been used to in the past under Joe McEwen with Veronica Burton most recently being an absolute star, so losing her really tough but the team did get their first conference win just over a week ago at Wisconsin so that was good to see finally finally breaking through for one and I was at the Nebraska game tonight just a few hours ago 
Nebraska had a really great first quarter, 30 points, so we weren't able to overcome that. But I will say the team plays really hard. They kept fighting throughout the whole game, and we put on a press late, almost came back. But I will call out two players who I think are my kind of players to watch for the future for us this season. We're not making the tournament. You know, there's no postseason hopes, but certainly can still look forward to kind of development, what's to come. I think Kaylee Walsh, really high recruit for us. She's shown some flashes. She is a really good three-point shooter, but she's also shown um, some struggles, 311 from the field tonight against Nebraska. You know, she definitely has the potential to be a really, really solid player for us. But the player I think that I have the highest expectations on right now is Caroline Lau. She's a freshman for us. She has recently started playing a lot more minutes. She doesn't start yet, but essentially plays the whole game. Got 35 against um, Nebraska. She's really poised as a guard. I think scoring-wise, she still needs to work on her ability to finish at the rim from what I've seen. But I think those two players are players that could hopefully lead to a bounce-back year for us next year. But definitely a fun team to watch this year, regardless of the wins or losses they've had played close against Purdue, who's who's a good team in the Big Ten this year. So still a fun team to watch. Would highly recommend checking them out. I think they have a game on Thursday night as well. So we will certainly look to cover the women's team more as, as the podcast goes on. Anything uh, else to add on that, Cal? They have the capability to be good. I mean, it's a lot of close losses. Michigan State, um, Illinois again, and certainly a team that you can you can see the positives in. But looking, going back, obviously, a couple of years, I remember going to, um, me and my sister, we went to a lot of the games in that season that unfortunately got ended because of COVID, where we were going to be sitting at most likely a four seed, had some big wins against Maryland, won the Big Ten, and then not having a tournament that year really, really slowed down the growth of that team, I think, and it was really, really tough for them. Because that was a team that you think was going to go to the Sweet 16, give you a shot at the Elite Eight with, I mean, some of the greatest women's players we've had at Northwestern in Veronica Burton, Lindsay Pulliam, who the things that they did for that program, for us, just immeasurable. The success that they were able to have that unfortunately was not able to be shown as well as it was due to due to COVID that season. Yeah, absolutely. Those teams were a lot of fun to watch, and I know the, the games were really fun to be at, too. And I don't think this is that same season you're talking about, but maybe it is, and I'm thinking about it. But, you know, got to remember back to, I think, the end of 2019 when we had ranked teams for men's basketball, football, and women's basketball. I mean, truly the pinnacle of, of – you know, Northwestern athletics history, some are saying. So got a shout out that time. That was awesome. Yeah, that that was the the season after we were so great in okay. women's basketball. We that season we still made the tournament. As a seven seed, got a win. Um I think I believe against UCF and then lost to Louisville. I can't remember exactly now. Yeah. Yeah, Louisville. Louisville. That's what I thought. Yeah, Louisville. We put up a, a good fight in that game. I remember it. A great first quarter from us that it really got us excited. It yeah. was always fun. Um, but yes, that was the the great week in Northwestern history where the obviously the great football team, basketball, and in both men's and women's. Anything else you want to throw in here tonight, Cal? Before we wrap up, that's all I've got for the week. Obviously, big week coming up. 
big win against Ohio State. Just again, as we said with the Wisconsin game, it's not a must win it for us, but getting that win, boy, it makes me feel a heck of a lot comfortable in the coming games. Yeah, if anything, I think it uh, does more for me, pers- my well-being, just uh, having to watch the games after that. If we could pick up that win, it would give me a lot more uh, peace of mind for the Illinois, the Indiana, the Iowa game, and the Maryland game. So, you know, hopefully we can get a win, but, you know, we don't think it's a must-win. So we'll just enjoy the ride, take it one game at a time. Certainly some good opportunities. Got to remember to enjoy it. This season's been a lot of fun, and hopefully it will continue to be a lot of fun over the next month for us. Thanks for listening to the Mostly NU podcast. Make sure to like, subscribe, rate, and share with your fellow Northwestern and Big Ten fans. As always, thanks to our music editor, Carson, and our graphic designer, Jameson. Go Cats!